0: Hello and welcome, I'm Tyler Kaufman and this is the Vile Methods Podcast, the show where we hear stories about the incredible leaders bridging divides, serving their neighbors and making waves in society. From entrepreneurs and volunteers to community leaders and nonprofit directors, we'll learn what it takes to change the world. My guest today is Logan Robertson and I am stoked for you to hear more about him and the work that he does in Denver. Logan and I met uh I'm not sure if I remember exactly how we met do you
1: yeah I sent I was I was mad that you got appointed oh, to that's, after hours that's totally right so, so I invited you to coffee <laughs> to meet my awful reaction with some kind of charity
0: <laughs> I totally forgot about that
1: oh my yeah. gosh <laughs> oh, man.
0: oh that's hilarious Logan is involved in multiple social service organizations. Uh, the work that he is doing here in Denver is kind of has his hands in, in a little bit of everything, but he is a connector and a vision caster for a lot of different communities, a lot of different organizations. And so I wanted to bring him on the show and have him talk a little bit about behind the scenes work, uh, some of the things that we could build upon here in denver as well as what it takes to build authentic relationships with people so hopefully it will inspire you to get out there and put more love in the world by serving others or donating to support his efforts well logan welcome to the show it's really great to have you on man
1: hey thanks for having me we just uh, adopted a dog today so uh, we have that going a lot of. Uh, a lot of commotion around here and kids are freaking out so
0: <laughs> so is that a christmas uh, present
1: well it wasn't planned as a christmas present we actually like got them all kinds of other christmas presents and then just the timing just happened to work for us to get a dog you know two days before christmas so they are spoiled rotten this uh, this christmas for sure oh, but man. uh yeah it'll be okay
0: i always had that always typical dream of wanting a dog for Christmas.
1: Yeah. You know, I honestly never thought that like we would, we would like do the dog for Christmas thing, but it just happened to work out that the the timing all works. So, Oh man.
0: Well, I wanted to have you on, um, like I mentioned, kind of talk about all the different stuff. You, you have a lot of knowledge about all the different things that go on in Denver. And I was wondering if you just kind of tell our audience what it is that you do and how you kind of ended up in where you're, where you're at right now.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I'll we'll talk about where I'm from first. Um, so, I grew up in South Dakota, St. Paul, South Dakota. Did my undergrad in uh, St. Paul at Hamlin University, and I went down to Vanderbilt University Divinity School in Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, and I got an MDiv there. We moved out here to Denver, my wife and I, in 2011, um, where she worked on her master's, and this is where we ended up. She's actually from here originally, Once we ended up out here, I did not know what to do. You know, I had kind of gone into the MDiv thinking maybe I would pursue PhD work and for for a variety of reasons that kind of had to be put on the back burner. Might be something I might be something I pursued down the line. You know, I'd always had a heart for service and uh, for people on the margins. You know, it was something that I focused on in my work at Vanderbilt and I wanted to put that into practice. So I ended up working at at uh, some churches and methodists uh, by origin that's how i grew up and so worked at a church called saint paul's umc which no longer exists that had a a feeding program on sunday mornings and um had about 200 people a week doing that and eventually um ended up about six and a half seven years ago at a place called network coffee house that's still where I am, is Network Coffee House. I'm sort of the, I don't know, I always tell people I'm the utility infielder at Network. I'm sort of the assistant to the to the director, and I also am a shift director. I've got my own my own shift that has been on Monday nights since I started. And Network is a hospitality house. That's kind of how we describe it. For folks who are experiencing homelessness, people who are severely mentally ill, addicted, living on the streets, chronically homeless, and uh, we have a lot of regulars, but we have a lot of folks who are just passing through, you know, or just heard about network or whatever it may be. It's right downtown on Capitol Hill, just uh, just east of the Capitol building. And it's been there for going on thirty years. There's some debate about when they actually started, but uh, but it'll be thirty years soon if it hasn't hit thirty years already. They just wanted to create a place where, People could come and experience some dignity and some rest in their day, and so we uh, we just welcome people into a space. Sometimes we call it the living room of Christ. And The reason we say that is because you know for homeless folks there's there's the place where they might go and eat. That's sort of the kitchen or the dining room of Christ. There are places where they go and sleep. That's the bedroom of Christ, and that work is is the living room of Christ. It's a place to come and take a load off. Build relationships, relax, drink a cup of coffee, hang out, and uh, just feel just feel human, hopefully. So yeah, I've been doing that for six and a half years. Uh, it's a really special place to me. Um I imagine I'll have some connection to network uh, for the rest of my life, I hope. And then uh, a couple years ago, I started um, working with Interfaith Alliance of Colorado uh, as an organizer. Um, I had up a group called, Alternative Solutions Advocacy Project, uh, ASAP, and ASAP is a campaign for space rights and survival in Denver. We oppose uh, sweeps of homeless folks, sweeping encampments, and we advocate on behalf of alternative solutions. So housing, first and foremost, increased uh, services and access to services in multiple different ways. And then solutions like tiny home villages, like safe outdoor space, like safe parking, any kind of solution that meets people who are experiencing homelessness where they are, um, approaches them not as criminals, but as human beings who are kind of making the best choices they can to survive, and, uh, and then seeks to uh, shepherd them out of homelessness, or at least into a healthier kind of state of, of, um, of life here on the streets of Denver so those two things you know they they kind of go together I see it sort of as a chaplain role in a way and I also head up a group called Colorado Street Chaplaincy Collaborative which is kind of a loose call co- loose coalition of people who are who are walking beside people who are uh who are living outside
0: yeah and you also have had your hands in the uh the safe outdoor space and helping that to come together the camping tent village it's been put together yeah
1: yeah so we just have just set up two uh safe outdoor spaces here in town both of them you know kind of on cap hill one's at on the parking lot of first baptist church in denver and the other one is at denver community church we have um tents for about 70 people Um, one is mixed men and women and the other one is just for women um, and transgendered individuals and basically what happened was you know uh corona tide broke out, you know, COVID-19 hit the United States and, you know, pretty soon we were all on uh, stay-at-home orders and things like that. And so my friend Cole Chandler, who's the executive director of Colorado Village Collaborative, they sort of head up the tiny home effort here in town. He gave me a call and he was like, well, man, I'm kind of sitting on my hands here, you know, and I'm just wondering, like, how are we going to spend our time during, during COVID-19? And I was like, well, I mean, you know, there's certain things we could do. One thing that's on my mind is safe outdoor space, and that was something that ASAP had identified as a priority for the year. In January, we sort of said we wanted to try to push that ball forward as far as we could, and so it made sense to us with COVID-19 to say, this can be part of a, this can be part of a public health uh, measure, a way of addressing COVID-19 for homeless folks that allows them to to stay at home, to have a place to be, right? That's going to mean that they're not getting swept. That's going to mean that they can be, you know, checked for their vital signs regularly. That if they do get sick, they can quickly be connected to services. So that was in, like, end of March, beginning of April when we got started talking about that. And I thought, you know, six weeks tops, we're going to have a, something <laughs> set up. Like, it's a no... It's a no-brainer. Yeah,
0: then the government um, gets involved, right?
1: <laughs> right, and you know, we already we already had heard that there was kind of an opening for uh, in the mayor's office. Uh, the mayor's pretty powerful in Denver, no matter who the mayor is. Um, it's just one of those cities where the mayor has a lot of power. And we had heard that that he was kind of amenable to the idea for for the first time that we had heard that. And so it's like, well, you know, this is an opportunity, COVID to to do something creative and to and to offer something to people that hasn't been done before and we felt like there was a little more space to get that done Um, a little more political kind of breathing room to get that done during covid (laughs) and that ended up being true you know we got the thing set up two of them they're full now but it was a fight you know we had to we had to fight a lot harder than i think we expected to Um, We pulled in a ton of partners and actually, you know, it ended up being a really good thing. We made a ton of connections. We built a a lot of political power and, you know, it was a win for ASAP. It was a win for CBC. And I think it was, uh, it's a win for people who are experiencing homelessness in Denver as well, as well as other service providers. You know, just the ability to access people and and build relationships with folks, know where they are and know that they're not going to get, you know, moved along every couple of weeks, which has been the case under COVID. The city has been sweeping folks at a fever pitch. Um, you know, I, I talked to somebody recently who said that he's been swept six times in two and a half, three months. Wow. Um, and that does not surprise me at all. And, you know, it's, it's totally um, dehumanizing and it's a waste of money uh and it does not doesn't solve the problem you know it just moves people around just traumatizes people yeah i knew a couple guys that have
0: been swept like three times i think that alone is nuts yeah
1: you know so setting up the safe under space you know it's interesting like before something exists i think it's really hard for most people to imagine it (laughs) so like when you can show somebody something like a, a model like safe outdoor space or safe parking or um, you know, different kinds of congregate living. If you can show it to them, it's pretty easy to get your head around. You see that it exists, you understand how it exists, you know, to a certain degree, but that is not the realm where government works. Right. You know? And most churches don't uh, unfortunately work in that that space either. You know, they they work in the space of of what exists and how do we make it better or uh, make it function, you know, the best that it can. Um, so, so for that,
0: me, that pointing and painting yeah. it, do you feel like the mock thing that was set up at belong, like helped people yeah. to start catch that vision or was there a different moment?
1: So first of all, we did have to put together a plan that was very detailed. I actually didn't have a ton to do with that just cause I, I've been juggling kids and, you know, my wife's work and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I did as much advising as I could and kind of helped come up with ideas and things like that. Cole Chandler, CBC and then some of, some of my colleagues at Interfaith Alliance did a lot of work to put together a very detailed plan, a budget, bylaws, you know, all the all the kind of details that somebody in power would want to see. And we thought, you know, this is a slam dunk. And we came right into the line a couple of times and the government at the vast at the last minute you know, the mayor's office just sort of freaked out and said, oh, we can't do it here. You know, like we're going to pull back. And after the second time that happened, we got on a, we got on a call and I basically said, like, hey, man, he's are not going to deal with us in good faith. And so we got to do something else. That something else was let's set up a mock, a, a vacant, just, a, just an example of the model. Three tents, you know, a place to go to the bathroom, hand washing stations, Make it look as nice as we can with a vision of what we want it to be like, and then invite politicians, invite the media, invite neighbors to come and check it out and, and invite folks who are experiencing homelessness too you know to come check it out. So that, it kind of came out of a, a sense of de- des- desperation like we got to show people what this thing is going to look like. So that was helpful and I think that it, it did help us make a big step toward setting up the SOS. but in the in the days since we set up the SOS, A group called All in Denver, which is by no means a progressive organization. There's progressives on the board of All in Denver. There are conservatives. There are, you know, very conservative business people. There are activists. There are, you know, folks who are bigwigs in nonprofits. It's a really varied group. But since the SOS got set up, they sent a unanimously voted on letter from All in Denver saying, these sweeps are not working. We want an audit of how much it's costing. And we want you to see... We want to see you take alternative measures wow. to sort of the sweeps, right? So to me, like that is the kind of religious imagination that, they, that is so important in our society and, um, and just in the life of, of us as human beings. You know, any, any religion worth itself is going to dream about the way the world could be, to see the ways that the world is broken, to see the ways that, you know, we, can, that we can live more like the way you know, God wants us to live. And and so that kind of dreaming, and you can call it advocacy, or you can call it activism. But to me, it's the spirit-led thing. And it shows, you know, shows dividends in people's lives. I think it's kind of a movement of the kingdom. So um, it's been really instructive, instructive for me. Like all this is like landed in my brain in the last like week and a half. Like, I'm just like, okay, like I understand how all this works now in a way, you know, um, not just the nuts and bolts, you know, debating with politicians thing or, you know, combating NIMBYs. It's not in my backyard people. But the like paying attention to where is the spirit, spirit leading, and how do we, you know, get on board uh, with that with that movement? Yeah,
0: sure. that's huge. I mean, you got you know where the spirit's leading or active already, and then people that their minds just work so differently. You're having to navigate meeting that that spirit-led moment. That's yeah, well, that's I, a lot of coordination. Yeah.
1: I would also say you know, I think that um, the structures of of power and economy um, and just you know just culture around around the way power and economy function in our society are there's a ton of gravity there. It's like this huge gravity well. I look at downtown Denver, you know from out here in the suburbs. Where I live, and it's all these tall buildings. And I imagine that is massive. Like it literally is massive, right? But culturally, economically, politically, it's 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 a center of gravity for our whole culture. And that's that's not just true in Denver, right? It's true in across the across the world that the priorities of that world, the priorities of what it takes to you know, become a mover and a shaker in government or in business is such that that it, it frames the way the world works in a certain way. Then you go and hang out at a place like Network once a week, a couple times a week for six months or a year or two years, and you start to get to know people who are living on the margins, people who are um, have, ex- have experienced a lot of suffering and are experiencing a lot of suffering. Just live this kind of in a lot of ways, this unvarnished existence. And like, they'll tell you to yourself. Like when I was sitting at at Vanderbilt, imagining, you know, all my like fancy theology being put into practice, I never thought that someone would tell me to go myself (laughs) twice
0: a week.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. But, but, but to be in that space, it, it changes your brain. You know, it changes your heart. And it's, it gives you a new center of gravity. I think, it, I think if you spend time there and you pay attention to those kind of folks um, and learn how to love them and, and learn kind of what they're asking for, it changes your orientation away from that, you know, the center of gravity represented by those big buildings, right? Um, and, and out of that new orientation comes the kind of movements like, like we have at Alternative Solutions Advocacy Project. Would you just go back to that ASAP. connection? Yeah, so ASAP, it, it, got, it actually was born out of maybe four years ago out of a big uptick, uptick in uh, sweeps that the city was carrying out. The city was sort of clearing out these camps of folks around, across the city in a way that we hadn't seen before. And there's a camping ban in in Denver. Basically, uh, um, homelessness is criminalized. So the law is that you can't have anything between you and the ground, and that includes a piece of cardboard or a blanket or a pillow or anything, and you can't have anything covering you other than your clothes. Anybody who is in that situation is up to be moved along, basically. And in years since, some of those things have changed. There's been some legal challenges and things like that. Um, But fundamentally the law is still in place and um you know uh, we've seen during COVID against C D C guidelines, um big camps getting swept uh left and right all over the city. And so, you know, it's just another it's just another example um that we need we need different solutions. You know, sweeping people is totally counterintuitive. Study after study has shown this. Um, that when we're sweeping people along, moving people along, they lose track of service providers. They get lose track of outreach workers. They lose track of their, the networks of and communities that they're a part of, um, that, uh, you know, they, they tend to uh, move into other areas, trespass, you know, um, and just experience, you know, negative outcomes from that. So that's how Alternative Solutions or ASAP got started, uh, was just out of a, a recognition that, you know this is not how we should be treating people um and um yeah man,
0: from like a just, practical sense and how we treat another human just being humane yeah. right but then yeah just a
1: practical sense like
0: right. how are you supposed to get the next level of resources if you're constantly being kicked around and then having to replenish the basic necessities I mean, that's basically yeah. like, like psychology 101
1: yeah, it's like Maslow, you know. Right. Like you're not going to get anything done if you don't have some kind of shelter. And obviously a tent or, you know, a sleeping bag or a b- bivvy bag or something like that, that's not ideal. Like, we, it's much easier to just house somebody and then stabilize them. Research, you know, shows that that's really effective. But at the very least, you got to know what that person is so you can keep kind of, you can keep reaching out to them, you know, so that you can keep offering the services that, that they might uh they might take advantage of um to to either get housed or to you know get to the hospital or seek mental health um help or you know help with addiction or whatever it might be so logan
0: what what keeps you you going in this work because there are so many obstacles to this type of work yeah you know building relationships with people and like you said there's so much power in the government and things are structured to work a certain way. So it'd be really easy to throw your hands up and just say, yeah, I'm not dealing with this. Right. And just focus on, you know, you have those skills. If you're able to, in the midst of all this different stuff that's going on, use your skills to organize something such as safe outdoor space or build relationships with people that are struggling with these things. Those those skills are pretty transferable. What keeps you being like no, but this is where I'm gonna be.
1: Yeah. So I would I would love to say it's because you know Jesus lives in my heart or whatever, but that's not that's not my answer. You know, it's interesting. I a few years ago, and this I can't remember if this was before I started working at Network or not. I think it might have been after. But there was an interview on NPR. I think it was on on Fresh Air, and it was with this doctor who had done part of his residency at a homeless shelter. And you know, the first thing he did is he 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 just washed people's feet, which you know, there's some obvious Christian symbolism there. But this guy's an atheist. He washed people's feet and got to know them. And something interesting he says in the interview is, I think. Terry Gross or whoever was interviewing asked him, you know, about faith. And he said, he said, you know, it's interesting. All the people who burned out the fastest in that environment were people who had some kind of faith background that was motivating them to come into the shelter environment and volunteer. And that really stuck with me. He said, the people who stuck out the longest were folks who either were atheist, outright atheist, or agnostic, or just kind of you know run-of-the-mill humanist types. And I wondered like, why is that? You know, it's funny because when I started really getting into this in a you know week-to-week, day-to-day, professional way, at first that kind of religious motivation, that that like faith-filled motivation is sustaining. Um, It makes you excited, it gives it gives you some meaning and it's a wind in your sails at first. But I found that very quickly and I mean less than a couple months, that juice runs out. You know, I started to I started to describe network as a cauldron for the Holy Spirit's fire. Because being in that environment week to week burns away all that, all that pious bullshit that you take into the room with you or any, anything about trying to be a good person or a good Christian or following Jesus or, Oh, trying to meet Christ on the margins or all that stuff gets burned away and you are left with just yourself. You're left with yourself as, you know, a God-bearer as um, a created being, and all you have to offer is just your own stupid self. So, I think what what matters in sustaining this work is coming to terms with your own poverty, coming to terms, and and getting really comfortable with the fact that you're not going to save anybody. Um, you're not going to. You're not going to be the the big difference necessarily in somebody's life. I mean, you might be like by accident, right? But but you're not going to, I don't want to be too down on it. It's not about you. You know what I mean? Like, so you got to, you got to get out of your own head. You got to get out of your own kind of design for whatever it is. And you know what? I haven't had this experience in a while, but I used to, sometimes I would like walk into network and I would have a plan for how I was going to interact and who I wanted to meet. And, you know, I want to make sure to get to know so many people's names or, you know, make an authentic connection with at least one person or blah, blah, blah. And the way I experienced those nights is that like God just puts a hand on your chest and just pushes you backwards like a bully, like get out of here. Like you got to come back with something else. Cause like, I'm not letting you in here with all these like preconceived notions. Right. We don't
0: need your program. We need your authenticity.
1: Yeah, like- man. We need you to, sh- we just need you to show up. Right. And, and that's something we talk about a lot. Ryan Taylor is the executive director at network. And he and I, he and I have had these conversations where it's like, what really matters is showing up every week and opening the door and saying hello. And beyond that, that, everything else is great show up open the door say hello that is what matters do it every single week do it when you don't feel like it you know and if you have designs beyond that you're going to burn out because because all this other stuff is going to get in the way other people's trauma other people's ideas just just like you know being a human being is tiring but whatever it is right it doesn't have to be work with homeless people it could be it could be you know Um, mentoring kids or it could be going and picking up garbage like that stuff you know the the things that sustain that it ends up being something that is way outside of your your designs and your control so so yeah i think you know the obstacles are many but but it ends up being fairly simple The, the problem is that i don't think you can get there without like going through the cauldron. You know, um, I, I have a friend who talking about practicing basketball and his coach basically told him, you know, all this stuff is confidence. If you have confidence in your abilities and you can just go out with some swagger, you're going to succeed. But the problem is you can't fake it, you know. You got to stand on the free throw line and, and throw the free throws in order to, to get good at it. And this is the same thing. Like, I don't think you can walk into the situation um, and fake it. If you carry enough like religious baggage with you into the into the like environment, like that's gonna get that's gonna get burned burned away, and it's gonna be look probably a little bit painful. You know, it's just gonna be a growing process. And anytime you know, anytime something new is born, you know, labor is not a. <laughs> It's not a, you know, it's not a clean thing. It's not a a thing that happens without a lot of effort.
0: As you mentioned a little earlier, there's this beauty in the authenticity that you find there. The interactions that happen at network, people are just too tired to put on a facade. Like there's a different kind of facade (laughs) that happens for some people on the street, like a tough guy facade, whatever. But most people aren't going to try to, put up some sort of show in order to possibly later ask you for a favor. That's right. Which I feel like yeah. happens a lot in the business world, even the church world. There are yeah, people and yeah. you're like, yeah, do I need to just tell me straight what you want? And it's yeah. because there's this concern that, well, if I say what I'm actually thinking, I'm concerned about how you're going to judge me later. And I don't, yeah. I don't see that thing as much. Like no. I've seen guys that, you know, they're high as a kite. They're they're still with it enough to know that we interacted. Right. But later, they're not ashamed. It's like, yeah. that's where I was then. This is where I am yeah, I mean, now. Right.
1: Uh, you know, it's funny. John, John Hicks, who who started Network, he used to say, unfortunately passed just recently, but uh, he used to say that people are unvarnished. It's like unvarnished wood. What you get, you see is what you get. There's no, there's no covering. You know, and and in that way, when someone tells you to yourself in a way, they're kind of saying, like, I love you, like, I love you enough to, like, tell you what I feel about you. And there's something really powerful about that, that we don't really get, you know, in our day to day lives, even in our really intimate relationships. We're not always on that level. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, like, aside Um, from my wife and my son, like, I don't know, very few places that I get that maybe, maybe with my parents. But there is a yeah. there is a level to which you're can I be vulnerable enough to tell yeah. you that I hate the world and I want to be alone right now, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. You're right, right. Yeah. So, you know, I you're right. Like that, that authentic encounter um is really is precious, very precious.
0: There is something I think deeply rewarding about being a part of authentic living. Honestly, yeah. like there are nights where okay, so I'm like uh, like 20 minutes away from network. I'm driving down for my shift. So for those who are listening they're they're like three hour, three hour shifts, maybe four, if you're doing open close. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you're basically behind the coffee bar and then checking, make sure people are good and running showers and, uh, watching over volunteers. And there are nights where I was just like, man, I don't have the energy for this today. <laughs> and like, i like, you just really didn't <laughs> want to go down. Right. And it's yeah. not because I don't want to see people. Right. It's, it is honestly just cause I'm like so worn out and then I get right. down there and we have like, I have like a good, great conversation with somebody that honest, open conversation. And then yeah. the next day I would go to like a church meeting or a district meeting or have some interaction where I'm talking to people that, you know, live in the corporate world and we're, mm-hmm. we're talking and I was like, man, this conversation is just so fake. Like, <laughs> and it, it like, it, I like get addicted to the authenticity of like the open and vulnerable state, and not vulnerable of taking advantage of somebody. Like a vulnerable of like your your bleeding heart is like right there, and yeah. somebody's willing to let you into these vulnerable moments. And sometimes yeah. it's, yourself, get out of my face, <laughs> right? But like, yeah, right.
1: Exactly. but
0: but sometimes you know, <laughs> it it is that close encounter and just being able to have that conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, I mean, I think. Boy, there's like so many places I could go. <laughs> um, the the first thing I, w- I would say is that idea of vulnerability. It's pretty easy as cisgendered white man, with all the power in the world and like a decent physical presence to say, go in front of a bunch of homeless folks, a lot of who are mentally unstable, and be vulnerable. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. I, you can't say that to everybody, but <clears throat> but the way the way that I like to frame it is. Is as um, an experience of awkwardness. I think that everybody can feel, can put themselves in a position where they feel awkward but not unsafe. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and that sometimes to have a, an on the level conversation with somebody you don't know that well can be kind of awkward. For folks who you know, who are experiencing mental illness or addictions, sometimes it can be really awkward. You're like, I don't know what I'm talking about here. Like, I'm just nodding my head. Or you might see somebody's naked butt or whatever. Like, that is awkward. But it's like just the right amount of vulnerability that over time, it can help kind of form you, um, form you into into the kind of person that can hang in a, in a situation where you feel a little you know on the on the back foot and you don't know exactly where this conversation is going or what's going to happen tonight or um yeah i'm not really feeling it but maybe that'll mean that that i can exist in this space in, in a more authentic way because my guard's down a little bit you know
0: yeah there um, is something oddly addicting too about being able to be a person that can hang in that moment
1: yeah right yeah. like there's a so, moment
0: where like i don't i don't know that any of us do that work for the accolades but like when you're in that moment and somebody else sees it and they're like wait like why did you keep struggling to understand them and sit in there when things were super awkward yeah
1: Colin, for sure right (laughs) like you know i think that um well first of all i would you know just to go along with the conversation about about awkwardness if you're at all interested in this idea i would really encourage you to to go check out the uh, book that my executive director at network just published called awkward spirituality. His name is Ryan Taylor. You can find it on Amazon. Yeah. Awkward um,
0: spirituality, the divinity of ordinary life. Yeah. You should, if you're, if you're listening and, and you are more interested in what, what this looks like or other stories that that has some really great stuff in there.
1: So, you know, go check that out. And it's just, it's just some very approachable stories about, about these awkward situations and, and how it, how it draws you into, you know, relationship and into, into meaning with something that's, that's going to really, really be uh, fundamental to, to your life if you, if you let it work on. You. So I would say that, you know, that's a great resource, but I would also say like, you don't have to jump in with two feet to, to a place, you know, kind of as like on the edge as Network is like Network is pretty radical. Um, I honestly I when I moved to Denver, one of the first things I did was got involved with After Hours uh when Jerry uh, Herships was running the show and just started coming down to the park, you know, and started getting comfortable, you know, with being around folks who are who are experiencing homelessness, giving out some lunch or feeding communion or whatever. Um, having a conversation for 15, you know, 20, 30 minutes, and then going about my day, you know, doing that once a week. Um, so like, I think that, I think that you can kind of see this kind of spirituality as a, and just service as a zero entry pool. You know, yeah. if you want to find a place that's not as high risk, um, that is, that is going to really introduce you to, to a way of, of serving and being that, uh, that is a little bit, a little bit easier i mean frankly just something that that doesn't take much but just kind of showing up uh yeah to kind of uh, outline that that for people
0: or that trajectory so so after hours is the ministry that i'm currently the the executive director of and it was uh logan's talking about the founder jerry herships so he started it by reaching out to people in bars and then they would make peanut butter jelly sandwich sack lunches and take them down to the corner of a park that is in downtown Denver. It's like the civic center, the main kind of park area down downtown Denver. I guess there's there's technically like three main parks in downtown Denver, but it's one of the main ones. Uh, It's right across (laughs) the street from the main library downtown. And and you can just come and just hand out sack lunches and waters to people. And there's a line of like 120 people. But there's also opportunities to enter into conversations as people as they're going about eating those lunches or some of them will come up and say, hey, do you have an extra this? Do you have an extra that? Do you know where I can get this or that resource? And so there's, there's little doors that will open up and mm-hmm. sometimes That's it's cool. lighthearted conversation as people are standing in line and sometimes it's really deep stuff that people need. But... And then the, the trajectory of that network, you're like 25 to 50 people in what is uh, in Denver, I think they're called like Denver square houses and they're basically like two or three story brick buildings and this is like an old house that's been turned into essentially a coffee shop, not one where you're getting like your daily, you know mud, Um, but they open up a couple times a day and people come in, typically that are experiencing homelessness or at least deep poverty and then they can get free coffee, sometimes some people will hand out something to eat but mostly just coffee and conversation play some chess checkers you know just chat with each other some people toes <laughs> off in their chair but that level you're inside a building you're there you can sit down and you can you know play a game of of chess with people and have a deeper conversation there and so there are kind of like that trajectory of how deep of conversation you're going with people it can there's different ways to engage all along that so for those who are wondering kind of this trajectory we're talking about handing a sandwich and the the engagement is just thank you the the conversation that can happen there and then conversation in a setting where it's like we're in the same building you know and you're not you're not yeah. you're not walking away easily
1: <laughs> yeah i would even highlight you know i would even highlight the part of after hours like you show up at the bar you know, you've probably been into a bar before. that's not going to be super uncomfortable. but like then this like church thing starts to happen, and the call to worship is get up off your butt and make a sandwich, and that sandwich is gonna feed somebody the next day. absolutely. You know? And so like that even that, like that can be like the first piece that like like you talked about people's hearts, like you can grab somebody's heart and say, like I want to see where the sandwich goes tomorrow, you know, um, or yeah. whatever later later in the week or whatever it might be. so there's a piece there that's that's pretty powerful too um i just don't want people to stop there (laughs) you know Uh, i'm hoping that people kind of keep getting drawn forward into deeper and deeper more meaningful relationships and 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 a little bit more time and a little bit more skin in the game because it's when you it's when you put that skin in the game that that it really starts to like like i said that that center of gravity starts to starts to move for you
0: absolutely so you're you, you have quite a, a bit of skin in the game speaking of. I mean you've been pulled pretty far into this gravity that you're working on, you know, all the way to safe outdoor space now and helping yeah. people find, you know, what is essentially permanent housing even if it's only temporary like in the yeah. midst of still being on the street, I mean in a parking lot, but the the yeah. move is is small and yet it's so powerful for so many people. I was talking to a couple of friends and they were like, you know, I've been swept three times and each time, like I have to replace my tent or my sleeping bag, yeah. my clothes, my cell phone. And then mm-hmm. how am I supposed to get any other, the other resources that will help me escape everything that's going on in the midst of this pandemic and worry about my identity being stolen and, yeah. Uh, you know, so so all that stuff's going on, and one of them walked up to me. He's like, "Dude, all my stuff is in one place." So he broke down
1: crying. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, like yeah." We we had a story of a guy who the first night he you know he slept at the safe outdoor space, and then he left. He came down the network. And then he went back to the safe outdoor space. And when he got back, he was like, that's the first walk I've taken in six years where I didn't have my backpack on. me. Wow. He was like, you know how light I feel? It feels like I'm flying, you know, because he doesn't have a 50-pound pack on his back. It's safe in his tent. And there's somebody there to make sure that nobody messes with it, you know. And the other thing is folks moved into that safe outdoor space. I was shocked, shocked people moved in because some folks are real loners you know and they're proud of the fact that they can take they can take care of themselves they're proud of the gear they have they're proud of their camping spots that's out of the way where they're probably not going to get swept because they're smart about it you know um and and a couple of those folks moved in and when ryan you know the ed at network told me that i was like what gary moved in to to the SOS And Ryan was like, yeah, man, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, wow, and he's still there. You know, it's a week later. And I, I'm just like blown away. And so to see those folks get, get met where they are and served by something that is creative and that shows that a different kind of world is possible is incredibly powerful. I mean, it's just incredibly, I'm going to cry. Like it's just, yeah. it's so powerful. You know, it's, it's what, it's the way that Christ wants us to see the world, um, that, that a different kind of world is possible, that, that we can relate to each other in a way that is so much more, so much more grounded in, in the life of, of God, um, you know, madness. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been so instructive for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, sure. it, it's so much easier for, I think, the general population to see people that are unhoused and in extreme poverty as bearers of God's image if if they are able to walk a little more upright. <laughs> Maybe, mm-hmm. like, without a bag, weigh, bag weighing them down. Right, have a yeah. little like of the the confidence and and assurance that having a place where you're not worried constantly and like having to live in this, you know, basically perpetual state of anxiety, if not fear. Yeah. Wow. I
1: just I think I think about just like getting a good night's sleep, right? Like, I think about what happens to me, and I got three kids. Like, <laughs> what happens to me when they're not sleeping well? And I'm not getting enough sleep. And I just turn into like a monster, you know? Right. This is right? the moment I just, where
0: I'll start to put people that are unhoused and living on the streets on pedestals. Dude, I, w- I would not be able to say thank you for that much in no, the line. I wouldn't be able amazing. to say thank you for anything. I'd be so pissed off at the world.
1: Like, I mean, my wife is like, what is wrong? With <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just tired. God. You know? And these, these folks are like, thank you so much for the sandwich. I really appreciate it. You're know, like, what how much sleep did you do last night oh two and a half hours or whatever you know like i mean so the fact that you have a you know warmer place to go and shut your eyes for eight hours or whatever it's groundbreaking for people you know so yeah yeah
0: definitely my brain is just trying to process all of that that is probably where <laughs> listeners will be too so let's switch to something a little more light-hearted so, I have some some would you rather questions. I'm gonna ask you three. Would you rather this or that, whatever you wanna call them? And then I'll ask you the final big question, the most important question, and we'll call okay, it an cool, evening. I'm ready. All right. All right. Would you rather? <laughs> that's right. We gotta pull out all the stops. Would oh, you right. rather be able to rewind life or be able to pause
1: life? Oh, interesting. Well, Kierkegaard says that life uh, is understood backwards, but must be lived forwards. So I guess I would say rewind life because I could, you know, I could learn something and then rewind and maybe do it a little better. I haven't had a chance.
0: So, so I was That's talking really with a friend earlier about Enneagram, and I'm, I'm like uh-huh. never really into Enneagram, I think, until I talk to you. And then you wax philosophical <laughs> or theological on a random you know fun I mean. question. And I'm like, you're such a four.
1: You, yeah, you know what I call the innate now? I, I call it evangelical horoscope. So, <laughs> so yeah. I, I mean, I like it. I think it's useful. I, I do think it's useful, but I think people get a little you know, like much about it. But, uh, but yeah,
0: I'm definitely a, four. definitely a four. So the the listeners will like know this from the last uh, episode anyways, but I was talking with my friend Haley and I was like, you know, it is the one like common denominator that brings together progressive and conservative and centrist theological yeah. types. <laughs> it's just like, it's it, this is oddly like, we're divided on everything else in society right now but right. nearly everyone seems to be in on this Enneagram thing. I don't know. All right, number two. Would you rather be stuck on a ski lift or stuck in an elevator?
1: Um, I guess an elevator. Um, I like to have something under my feet, even if it's just a car, you know? Interesting.
0: Um, yeah, I don't love...
1: I love heights and then I I like to ski and stuff, but like, like the, the ski lift is just a, just a way to get up the mountain. So yeah. Elevator.
0: All right. And then the the biggest one, this or that werewolf or vampire?
1: Mm, I guess werewolf feels more, feels more authentic to me, to my, who I am. So yeah,
0: werewolf. I I can see I can see that you have a little bit of like a werewolf aura. I, I get that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Already, you know? Yeah. Kind of, it <laughs> it's not too far of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the big the big question. Okay. Oh, what man. what's the Denver staple that is a must?
1: Denver staple that is a must. Well, I would have said Tom's Diner um on Colfax uh but it's closed right now and I think it might be like done for good. Ugh. Uh, it's this it's this old greasy spoon place. Um just a cool kind of retro retro place. Um but if not, if not Tom's You know, I'm just going to go with the food theme again and and say Pete's Kitchen, which is is down the way a little ways. Oh, I don't think I've been to Pete's Kitchen yet. Yeah, man, it's this greasy spoon. You know, it's kind of similar to Tom's. It's been there forever. Uh, The waitresses are kind of mean. (laughs) And the food is, like, not that great, but I would rather go there than some fancy place every single time.
0: That's awesome. I love
1: that. It's just a cool place, and, you know, there's – it's kinda of like network, like it's unvarnished, you know, they're like, Here's your eggs <laughs> <laughs> You know, like I'm like, they're fine, you know, they're hot, like what else do you want? Like, put some ketchup on them, you know, it's it's gonna be fine. But uh and I shouldn't say that. I mean the food is fine, but it just isn't anything fancy, you know. Um so well if you yeah, want Pete's something
0: Kitchen. unvarnished, uh check out Pete's Kitchen and if you are from Pete's Kitchen, you should become a sponsor of All the stuff that Logan's doing or bio methods.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that'd be awesome. (laughs)
0: Well, so, Logan, where can people go to find out more about Network, the other organizations you're working with, or your work?
1: Yeah, um, so uh, you can go, first of all, plug, you know, uh, networkcoffeehouse.org is where you can go to find out more about about what we're doing and see some pictures and just read a little bit about the philosophy behind the place you know you can also check out interfaithalliancecolorado.org just to just to see the good work that's happening there you can also check out my uh, loganrobertson.net website and uh, missingbodybeard.com is my my blog i'd like you to check it out it's a pretty cool place you can go to ministrymatters.com com and search for my name. You'll find some of the articles that I've uh, that I've written there called "Becoming Poor and Finding Friendship on the Margins."
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, Ryan and I worked on that together. Um, I did the bulk of the writing, but a lot of it is out of conversations that we've had, and just some notes and stuff that that we took. Um, and so it's about it's about network, um, but it's about in this kind of um, this kind of environment, what does it mean to be friends with Christ? What does it mean to show hospitality um, without necessarily like you know handing anything out? What does it mean to pay attention to people um, in a way that is um, loving and effective? And then how do we how do we move into being in solidarity uh, with folks in a way that um, that honors them as yes. As uh, God bearers that honors them as not you know not means to some kind of political end but as ends in themselves that uh, but but that nonetheless seeks to um, seeks to change the world seeks to to you know bring, bring a little bit of justice into into um, into places where it needs to be.
0: I love yeah. that it is a and it is a great article. I actually, I I don't quote but I paraphrase you guys in my my dissertation. So people should go check it out. (laughs) Logan, thank you you again for being on. Uh, I hope you'll come back on. I'm sure listeners would love to hear more from you and get updates. Method heads, if you want to talk outreach, servant leadership, or anything else in between episodes, follow me on Twistagram at Vile Methodist and join our Facebook page, Vile Methods. You can also learn more and find additional resources by visiting our website, vilemethods.com. Until next time, be vile and dare to put more love in the world.